Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm Tim. And this is the Hearts and Hands Podcast. In Season 4, Episode 6, we have a roundtable discussion about color. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Sonnenberg, joined as always by my co-host, Tim Babbler. And Tim, today we get to do one of my favorite things. We get to do a roundtable. And it's a roundtable with guests that we've had on the podcast before. So if you haven't already checked them out, go back and listen to our special guests' first uh, episodes. We had John Bergmeier and Karen Getzinger. They each have wonderful individual things to talk about, but hearing two visual artists' views about color and the use of color and all these different things, it was truly a delight. So I'm excited for you to hear this episode. This is actually part one of two. So make sure to tune back in next time for the conclusion of our epic roundtable. Let's take a listen. Today, we're excited to welcome back to the podcast, our good friends, Karen Getzinger and John Bergmeier. Welcome, guys. Hello. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, absolutely. We're glad to have you here. Uh, For our guests who may not have caught you in the earlier episodes, could you briefly reintroduce yourselves? Let's start with you, Karen. So I am a full-time visual artist uh, working primarily in the abstract, abstract expressionism, and also large scale. So I've left the world of 12 by 12s, 24 by 24s, and uh, work mainly in a format of four feet by six feet, but that's grown over the last few months to even eight feet, so... Yeah, there's no going back now, though. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, I'm John Bergmeier, and I I guess in a way I could say I'm a full-time artist as well, but uh, I I do this part-time thing on the side of actually doing uh, commercial design, artwork uh, design, graphic design, uh, commercial design for decorative films. And I think maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into this, but uh, but my... um, my, I have a little studio that I share with my wife in here in Waxhaw, North Carolina. And uh, primarily, I'm a printmaker, but I do get into sculptural things as well, mixed media, a lot of mixed media. I like combining different processes together. I, I like both 2D and, and 3D. And uh, yeah, I find that both satisfying as well. Excellent. And the reason we wanted to have you guys on today is primarily because you are uh, both fantastic visual artists. And we wanted to talk about something that we thought would work really well on a podcast being a primarily an audio format. We're going to talk about color. Um, so uh, this, John was actually the one who who came up with this idea and I loved it. And so we're going to run with it. But we wanted to talk about just all the ways that color impacts our work and the ways that we think about color, both as visual artists and as musicians. And and, uh, John, where do you want to start? Well, uh, maybe I'll just start out with like what I mentioned earlier about the the premise of this is, you know, it's like the question as a conversation starter, you know, who's your favorite child? Although that's, you know, you, you can't really answer that unless you only have one child. But you know, who would you, who would you like of, of anybody past or present, who would you like to have dinner with? So that kind of idea about what's your favorite color? And, and honestly, I mean, it's, that's a difficult question for me to answer because I like them all. Right. And it's like, a, and uh, they, they serve different purposes for me uh, personally. 
But I guess then going back to the to the whole premise of this podcast, possibly, is because you're in com- including a lot of different artists, right, under the umbrella of artists. So you have both visual artists and musicians, storytellers, everybody. But I, th- this idea for me is is kind of fascinating because I don't really know the intricacies intricacies of uh, of music enough to know if when one is composing music, are they thinking about color the same way that I do as a visual artist when I'm working on a piece, you know, course, such an important ingredient. And I guess that's, that's why I was hoping, you know, part of the discussion could be around that from you guys being musicians as well. And I'm, I love the fact that Karen's here too, because I know color is very important for her as well. Sure. So let's, let's start there with Karen. You being a an abstract artist, you obviously rely on color to to communicate quite a bit, possibly more than um, somebody who isn't abstract. So, w- what what thoughts go through your head as you're thinking about what colors to use or how to communicate through color? So, because my work is primarily emotion based, it isn't necessarily representational, other than perhaps that an object or something uh, inspired me to record my emotions and my feelings about that thing. So, you know, I have to look at my emotions. If it's a, a dark mood, uh, obviously I'm going to go to darker colors. Recently I've been working with dark backgrounds on my work, but I don't want the black background to be black. I want it to be something so dark it almost looks black and so people are kind of surprised when they see it because it doesn't often photograph well that it isn't actually black Um, so that kind of sets a tone if i'm painting something joyful obviously i'm not going to be using a lot of black dark blue uh dark purples i'm going to lean more towards a warmer brighter palette if that helps do you do you think that you, you kind of had those general categorizations of darker colors and warmer colors. Do you think that those emotions are like intrinsically tied to those colors? Or is that just something that we've just kind of come to accept? Cause that's what we're used to. Like black, black means dark means we talk about sin being darkness. So that's a negative kind of color. Whereas brighter colors are more associated with joy and happiness. I think Probably what I think about is not so much, I mean, I don't think my emotions are necessary, my personal emotions are necessarily tied to the colors. However, I, I know that once a painting is out of my hands, it becomes the viewer's experience. And so sometimes I'll choose colors so that the viewer has an easier time experiencing the painting and being able to come to the painting and derive some personal views from it themselves. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I just work with whatever color I want to work with and uh, the marks themselves sometimes will create the emotion. Really intriguing because I think there are, are a ton of artists that have tried to maybe train us to think of an emotion with a certain color, even you think of the animators who worked on uh, Pixar, Disney Pixar's Inside Out. They represented emotions, yes, with characters, but those characters were tied to a specific color. 
And I wonder how much that really influences our thinking when we see a piece that is red, do we automatically think, wow, that's, that's eliciting a lot of anger? Or can we look at that same piece that has a ton of red and be like, there, there are other emotions that are tied to it? I have a little bit of experience with this. Uh, as you can see behind me, I know people listening can't see it, but I'm at work today. And part of the, the work that I do uh, is I work for one of the largest global coatings companies. And so color is very important to our product. I mean, we everywhere from aerospace, automotive, consumer products, electronics, architectural products. And so every year we put together a trend report that we pre- present to our customers. And these are the ones you, you're familiar with. These It's like uh, a lot, every paint company now puts out their color of the year, right? Which is kind of a funny thing because it's not always the same one, right? So it's like, who, who, who do you believe is the color of the year? But but it's really, it's been fascinating for me to, to delve into this because we really take a look at what consumers thoughts are and feelings about color and, and the impact, like what you were talking about, Tim, the impact that colors have on people's emotions, specifically purchasing, right? But uh, because they, if they see something in, in, in a combination of a product and a color that they can't live without, that's what you really want, right? They want to dish out the money and buy it. But but it's, but it's really complicated and it's a really big business. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really complex in that you can't say, okay, red is always going to mean, you know, this exciting, youthful, speeding tickets in a Mustang, stuff like that. You, you can't, oh, you, you can kind of make generalizations like that, but, but it's really difficult. I mean, because for another example, blue is, is really popular now with a lot of logos, right? I mean, you look at Twitter, Facebook even our church logo, but you know, the connotations of blue is like, well, kind of sad, right? I mean, it's like Miles Davis is blue, right? It's like slow and it's, you know, moody, but, but it's really popular. I mean, so it's really difficult. I mean, and, and going back to where I started with this is for, for my work here, you can see behind me, some of the panels, uh, the color chips and things. It's a huge business, but it's really hard to define. And, and like I said, every comp- company has their own color of the year, what they feel is relevant and the most important. But I, I think it, it, I think the complexity of it, it comes from the complexity of individuals. I mean, everybody's got their own traditions and in baggage and heritage and all these cultural things, you know, it just gets really, really mixed up. So it's really difficult to do that. I mean, there's been a, a plethora of studies done on how color can affect our behavior. So for instance, red, supposedly, uh, red would be a good choice for your dining room because supposedly it heightens people's appetites. Mm. Um, There was a study done, oh man, I think back in the 70s that they went into institutions uh, like prisons and they repainted some of the prisons from that, you know, that institutional green color. Uh, you'll know it if you go into hospitals that haven't been upgraded uh, recently, you know, and it's kind of depressing to see that color. Well, they started to pink, uh, paint some of the areas in the prisons pink. Mm-hmm. And they found a, a noted difference in the prisoners' behavior in that they, they were calmer. So, you know, to John's point, 
we know that certain colors do affect humans in certain ways. Uh, and we know that colors can also affect their perceptions, like navy blue is supposed to mean loyalty, green, money, or wealth. But I think in the arts, for many of us artists, we, and maybe I can only speak for myself, we kind of throw that to the wind. And for me, I use whatever color I can most effectively say what I want to say. My own artwork, it tends to be very, I mean, we talk about in general terms about color. We have hue, saturation, and value, right? Uh, for me, my works, my colors tend to be very subdued, very low chroma, you know, but that's, that's for me, that makes sense. And, and even if my artwork itself tends to be, and I, I mentioned this before, Tim, uh, is that, and, and, and Drew, that my, my artwork, I, I strive to make it kind of timeless. I don't really want it to be like right now that the person looks at it and says, oh, that was made in the 1990s or, or whatever. But I, for me, for, for my color, I, I really like looking back at, you know, things that, that I remember from my childhood. So my grandmother's old Tupperware, uh, the fabric on her Davenport, you know, things like that just really are rich for me. But then also I, I like using uh, symbolic colors uh, like gold and silver for the implications, especially for the, the Christian aspect of what I'm putting into my artwork. I mean, just by putting a little gold circle on something for me just is like, you know, really says a lot for me as far as the implications of something out of this world or heavenly, uh, the spirit of God, you know, there's, so there's so many connections like that, but that's, that's my artwork. And, and like to Karen's point, I think every artist has their own little individual palette that they're comfortable with, that they feel expresses what they want to express. A few years ago, before I went completely abstract, I was working on a series of work that was focusing on fading memories. And so the colors were all very soft, hazy, muted. And I remember a gallery owner, one of the galleries that represented me, the gallery owner said, well, you know, um, maybe if you painted brighter colors, we would sell more of your work. And, you know, I, I said to her, I think you're missing the point. Maybe if you explain to your clients, potential collectors, the thought process, why the colors are muted and why they don't have to match their couch, maybe that would help. So I just thought it was interesting, even coming from a gallery owner, that she didn't get the color selection. Yeah. And, and even the absence of color can be very important. Uh, you think of uh, Ansel Adams and his black and white photographs, right? I mean, they're just so powerful. And, and, and for me, I think they just wouldn't be the same if they were color, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Another example, one of my favorite artists now is William Kentridge, and he does primarily, primarily charcoal drawings, basically black and white, but they're so emotional. There's just so much stuff in there. Uh, the content is so rich. Uh, and again, they wouldn't be the same if they had color in them. 
turning this a little bit because I know John, you wanted to to hear some thoughts from musicians. I do. Um, so feel free to take on the role of the interviewer if you want to. But <laughs> we'll we'll start with Tim because I like putting him on the spot instead of me, and because I know that your answers are going to be slightly different than mine. Tim, as you are writing music, does color play a role? Are you thinking about it as you're writing music, or does it come up afterwards? What connections do you have between color and music? I got to go back to my origins to uh, answer this question. No, what I mean by that is when I was younger, for me, listening to music and drawing, painting, coloring, whatever, were always tied. They went hand in hand. When I would hear a song, I would, not in the same way as someone who, what is the term, Drew? Sees color when they play music? Synesthesia. So not in the same way as that, but I would almost see a work of art happening and I would do my best to recreate it on a piece of paper. And I tried doing that same thing with my students when I was a teacher, not in an art class, but we would listen to music during religion on some Fridays and say, I wanted you to create a piece of art that represents what this song is telling you, communicating with you. And I know that it comes a lot easier to some people than it does to others. For me, when I'm writing music, there are times when I hear a melody, I don't see a color or I don't think of a color when I hear that melody. But after I begin to flesh out that melody into something that's more grandiose, I do believe that there, there's, I mean, you, you can say it using the word color to say there is a color to the sound. There is a way that the sound makes you feel in the same way that a color can elicit emotions. I believe that there's one chord that I played by accident once on, on my guitar. And I was like, oh my goodness, my heart feels so warm right now. And I think that's the same way that color makes you feel. So yeah, in, in that sense, there is, there is color to my compositions, but maybe not in the way that you think of color. Yeah, I, I think the little bit that I looked at this, it seems like the variables for you guys in music, there's tempo that could affect the emotion. The instruments themselves, I think, plays a big part of that. I mean, I think of a, a tuba, you know, that to me is like really warm, except, I don't know, maybe if it's in a polka band, then it's pretty lively and exciting, right? But that's in combination with other ones. But but I think, you know, that and uh, pitch, I think, is that something that's a real term for music? I think yep. so. What else? I mean, the chords, I think, too, right? There's there's major chords and minor chords. Yep. And I think major chords tend to be, what, more happy, maybe, yep. more joyful. Kind of like your warm colors, brighter, warmer. And minor chords would be maybe a little bit more angry and purposeful. And, I don't Lucy. know. Yeah. So what do you say, Drew? So I, I've kind of touched on this once or twice on the podcast. I don't know if I have, I, I don't think I would say I have full-blown synesthesia, but I do have this thing that I can't really explain that every song has a color associated with it in my head. Or sometimes there's like one or two or like there's one main color and then one or two like secondary colors. So, and it just happens. It's not like I pick that color or like I listen to this song over and over. And now I think of this color. It's just like, nope, when I'm listening to this song, this, this is the color I think of um, immediately. And 
I've found that when I'm writing music, then if I've gotten far enough into a song that I like that, there's now a color with it that affects how I finish the song or how I write the rest of the things that go with it. And it, it involves those things like you were mentioning, John, like tempo and, and major and minor chords and, and instrumentation and things like that, that, uh, you know, if this song in my head feels purple, there are certain instruments I'm not going to use on this song. Yeah. And there are, there's, you know, it's going to probably stay within a certain vocal range and things like that. Because to me, those feel purple. Whereas if I were to do something that was wildly different, that, that wouldn't feel purple to me. So that wouldn't fit with this song. So yeah, I, I, I can't explain how it works exactly. It's just, there's a color for that song. And so now as I'm finishing writing that song, it needs to stay within that color or within, like I said, sometimes you get little secondary colors in there, but primarily one. Do you, do you start out with an objective? Like you want to make a, a, a yellow song or a red song or not usually sometimes when it's it, like within a larger thing, like if, I'm writing a whole album of songs or something like that, and I need one to fit in this spot. I might have an idea of what color I'm aiming for. But if I'm just writing a single standalone song, it's just I, I start writing and then it kind of appears once I get far enough in. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. John, when you work, do you have music? <laughs> That's a great question. I, 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 that's so important because I do, I do absolutely, and uh, and and I think that's the same thing. I was going to think about thinking about color, uh, you know, selection. It, you know, we have this ability with both. I guess with with music, especially with music, we have so many options available to us now. You know, Spotify, iTunes, we can stream and we can select whatever kind of music we want depending on what mood we're in, right? Or if we want to feel better or if we want to change the mood we're in, we can select a kind of music, right? And there's so many available for us to do, uh, which I think is awesome. And I think to a certain point, maybe the visual stuff too, I mean, we can choose different screensavers. If we're decorating our house, you know, we can, we can change paintings and prints and things around depending on the time of year, maybe the mood we're in. Uh, but yes, I, I do listen to, to music. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. I think maybe as I'm getting older, I, I maybe am trying to lessen the distractions though that are going on around me, so that I'm leaning more towards instrumental type music, or so I'm not like having to. I mean, you know, look, I don't know if I really pay attention to lyrics that much anyway, but but I tend to maybe listen to more like jazz or cello or something like that. That's just kind of in the background, but I mean. My go-to is, you know, Radiohead, Talking Heads, whatever, just because I, it, it really gets me going and it's it's enjoyable for me. How about you? Well, I, just to your, yes, I do. And to your point about uh, instrumental, apparently uh, that's good. It's good for visual artists to listen to instrumental music and not to uh, lyrical music because apparently the part of our brain that's working on the art thing gets stopped when it and the other part of your brain starts listening to the words. And so if you really want to get into the zone, the best thing is instrumental. This probably won't surprise anyone. I listen to jazz 
when I do my paintings. But it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, really jazzy jazz. Um, I love to listen to Miles. I think of his song, uh, Generique, which makes me, talking about color, which makes me think about the time of day when the sky is that awesome, deep indigo blue. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, 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 like, that's a whole package for me, that, that time at dusk with the indigo blue, which seems to be, for me, a really for reflective time of day. And then the song by Miles, that particular one, or his whole, you know, blue album, it just the color, the music, it all just kind of comes together. That is not the end of our roundtable with John and Karen. Be sure to tune in next week to catch the epic conclusion. Honestly, it's it's very good. We're we're excited for you to hear it. As always, if you have questions you want answers to, people you want to hear from, you want to talk about what you're working on, or like John, you want to be a part of a roundtable and you have a, a discussion topic you want to talk about with a with other like-minded artists or different minded artists uh, feel free to reach out to us at hearts and hands podcast at gmail.com and if you want to check out some of my bloopers or want some behind the scenes uncut video episodes make sure to check out our patreon page at patreon.com slash hearts and hands podcast we want to thank our patrons we have on there as always we appreciate the support thanks for listening we'll catch you next time